Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. In my living room stands a grandfather clock. It is about 200 years old. Faithfully and melodically, like a metronome, it has given a steady, reliable beat for the many lives who inhabited the homes in which it stood. It has stood in the front hall of every home that I grew up in. And now it is here, standing in my living room. Tick, tock, tick, tock. I was raised in a home by devout Christian parents practicing their faith in the Anglican tradition. In our home, you not only heard the rhythm of that old clock, tick, tock, tick, tock, but there was also the rhythm of the liturgical calendar. The liturgical seasons were the rhythm of our home. There were, ch- there were clues on which we relied to alert us to which season we were in. Quaint decorations appeared on the tables, scrumptious aromas wafting through the halls that were the food of that season, specific ta- tasks for church that were attended to, the very texture of our lives in our home revolved around the liturgical calendar. My prayer book, given to me by my, at my confirmation, neatly laid out the church year in chart form. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Shrove Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, Palm Sunday, Monday Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Glorious Easter, and many, many more. The days in between were delightfully called the ordinary time. The fast and feasts, the psalms and readings, the liturgies, the rich symbol of the Anglican Church, all of these were meant to remind us how close and present the kingdom of God is in everyday life. For example, as a child, I understood that the delicious aromas, steaming, syrup, laden pancakes and fatty bacon crisping that filled the hallway of our home and filled our plates on the dinner table were to celebrate Shrove Tuesday. Tick. This meal was all in contrast to the bleak and solemn days to follow, the days of Lent. Talk. During Lent, we fasted from treats like candy, chocolate, ice cream, desserts, and sometimes meat. Now, Even as a child, I struggled to understand how giving up ice cream equated with the passion of Christ on the cross. But the rhythms were deeply rooted in my childhood and my parents' childhood. And like a clock, it just kept ticking. I carried these rhythms into my adulthood. One Lenten season, while desperately searching my life for the thing I needed to give up, that would equate to what Christ did on the cross. I exclaimed to God, This is ridiculous, Lord. 
You know I can give up anything, and you know the litany of things I have given up over the past 25 Lents. Jelly beans, chocolates, ice cream, boys, coffee, swearing, alcohol, TV. But considering Jesus' death on the cross, it all seems, well, pathetic. Here's my idea, Lord. And notice I didn't wait to hear what he had to say. This year, instead of giving something up, I'm going to start something. There's a great idea. So then began the years of praying every day through Lent, journaling every day through Lent, reading the four Gospels through Lent, being kind through Lent, being gentle through Lent, being good through Lent. (laughs) But God is good. See how gentle and patient he is with me? Not angry that I still don't get it. Not thinking that I'm ridiculous, but always gently nudging me towards relationship with him. Here I am, 35 years later, and my long-suffering precious Lord has brought me back to praying and fasting. I spent over 30 years feeding our family of seven, plus whoever the cat dragged in from the neighborhood, seven days a week, three meals a day, plus snacks, food rolled in and out of our kitchen. It's not just the cooking time in the kitchen. It's the planning, the shopping, hauling, chopping, cleaning up, teaching others, mentoring, setting up, cleaning up after others have attempted to clean up. I'm sure mine is not an unusual motherhood experience, and at least half of you understand how consuming food is in the family. Fasting involves no food preparation and has now become a rest for me. The hours spent over meals are now hours spent with God. I intentionally use the space created in prayer and in his word to listen to him and hear of his immense love for me. There are many reasons why people fast. But a spiritual fast will always glorify God and draw you closer to him. And listening gives you a better chance of living his way with his will being done here on earth. Recently, I have undertaken the spiritual practice of inscribing God's word. Simply put, I get emailed a list of verses at the beginning of each month, one for every day. I then spend time writing them out and dwelling on them. This year's topic is spiritual disciplines. This month's topic is fasting. Coincidence? I don't think so. The verses early in the month were all fasting and weeping and renting your clothes and wearing ash cloth and a lot of strong emotions connected with the fast. But on March 12th, the verses were in Isaiah 58, 4 to 12. God really spoke to me about what his idea of fasting is. Listen to his words as I read from the message. The Israelites were complaining. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do, you, why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? And God says, well, here's why. The bottom line of your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. 
Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? Put on a pious, long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own family. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow with dark in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You will be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past life to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as one that can fix anything. Restorer of old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. It sounds like, to me, true fasting is when you give up your selfish desires and use what is created in that space, money, time, energy, prayer, to do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, become repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets and dwellings. This is kind of a new thought for me, so it's not fully fleshed out. But considering the broken walls we've experienced over these past few years during the pandemic and the current war in the Ukraine, it is something to consider. Plus, I love the idea of being known as one who can fix anything. I could stop talking right now, because who should keep speaking after the Lord has spoken? Plus, this is about the extent of my experiencing experience with fasting. But the question being asked today is, what is it we do behind closed door? Why do we fast? Let Jesus examine our hidden motivation for fasting. I tell you this because the volume of information on fasting is daunting. The scripture verses are numerous. The saints that practice fasting reads like the who's who of the Bible. The opinions about fasting are variable and many. All of you, like me, have access to the same volume of information. All that to say, this message will not be about the history of fasting or how to fast or the reasons to fast. You can work that out with God if he calls you to the practice of fasting. One excellent resource I would recommend is Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. Chapter 4 is on fasting. 
Instead, this message will concentrate on simply letting Jesus examine our hidden hidden motives behind fasting by looking at his word in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Here's a prayer I found. It was used by Christians in the 4th century. Tick tock. It was prayed before the reading of the gospel in the liturgy of St. James. Bow your heads with me and listen to this prayer and see if these 4th century Christians can connect us with God as we pray. Illumine our hearts, O Lord. O Master who loves mankind with the pure light of your divine knowledge. And open the eyes of our minds to the understanding of the gospel teachings in Matthew 6, verses 16 and 18. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies. O Christ our God. Amen. Now I'll jump from this 4th century prayer to reading our passage from Matthew out of a Bible my husband has recently given me. Which is the First Nations Version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament. Here we are. Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. The way to fast. When you go out without food to seek to speak when you go out without food to seek spiritual things, do not be like the ones who put on a false face. They hang their heads down and darken their faces to look as if they are going without food. They only want people to notice them and think they are spiritual. I speak from my heart. They already have all the honor they deserve. They will get no more. But when you go out without eating, put on your headdress and wash your face so others will not notice, but know that your Father from above, who sees in secret, will honor you. In this passage, Jesus is giving instruction on the proper exercise of a common practice of that day, spiritual fasting, which is when you fast from food for a spiritual purpose. There are times recorded in scripture that show Jesus fasting to seek spiritual things. One such example is in Matthew 4.4. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he spends 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying, naturally, after 40 days, he's hungry. And Satan tempts him to turn some stones into bread. It's then that Jesus reminds us that food does not sustain us, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God sustains us. Jesus begins his instruction by saying, When you fast... Which leads to believe people were fasting and he was giving instruction on how to do it properly. His teaching on fasting comes in the middle of the passage on praying and giving. So it could lead you to assume that fasting, praying, and giving are all part of Christian devotion. When Jesus is questioned by John's disciples as to why his disciples are not fasting... Jesus' reply is this. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Matthew Matthew 9, 16 and 17. 
Is that time now? I don't know. The language is not definite. But you know what I do know? Jesus knows us well. And I really don't think Jesus expects anything from us. He knows how hopeless we are, how we try, how we want to do better, but we fall short and we sin. I love that Jesus knows us well. He also knows we can turn anything into a competition, can't we? Even fasting. God gives us ten commandments, and the Jewish rabbis have found 600 or more laws, called fence laws, to go around those commandments. Fasting has had the same fate through history. In the time of Moses, there was one annual public fast required on the Day of Atonement. Today, there are over 20. In Jesus' parable in Luke, the Pharisees boasted, I fast twice a week, a common practice at the time, and now it is mandatory. We are constantly grading, rating, classifying who is better, how can we be better, how can we let everyone know how much better we are. Jesus knows this about us, and he says this in verse 16. Do not be like the ones who put on a false face. They hang their heads. They darken their face. They look as they're going without food. Don't close your eyes here, people. You know what Jesus is talking about. We can't help ourselves. We want to be noticed. We want people to see what good Christians we are. If that is our motivation, this is what Jesus has to say. They already have all the honor they deserve. They will get no more. Instead, Jesus instructs us in this passage, when you go without eating, put on your headdress, wash your face so that others will not notice. What? Where's the payoff for all the hard work? Well, in verse 18, Jesus states what the payoff is. So others will not notice. But know that your father from above, who sees in secret, will honor you. Imagine that. God, Elohim, the creator of the universe, name above all names, king of kings, El Elyon, God most high, wants to honor you. It stops me in my tracks. How upside down God's perspective is of what I believe about the world and about him. I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity for God to honor you. I don't want you to miss out on knowing how much God loves you. And how Christ's passion is for relationship with you. In his book, The Deeply Formed Life, Rich Veloda says... In the season of Lent, the church emphasizes ascetic practices, such as fasting, to ground us in the notion that we are not to be exclusively governed by our appetites, but by God's way and will. So for a season, we'll go without some of the things that bring us delight, and in so doing, we live from a different center. In my childhood... I was good at abstaining, but I neglected to fill that created space with God. As a 61-year-old, 
I abstain from something so that space created can be satisfied with a filling from God, knowing always that God is the only one who can satisfy me. As Paul said to the Corinthians in his first letter, chapter 10, verses 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. I believe that Christ's passion on the cross is less about our daily trifling sins being paid for and more about the immense love he has for us. He went to the cross because that was God's plan, the only way to defeat Satan and death. The cross gave God victory. Nothing we can do will add to that. Nothing we do do will take away from that. Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, because he wants to spend eternity with us. That is how great his love is for us. As I sit writing this in my living room, the tick-tock of my old clock reminds me that time is advancing. And the liturgical calendar reminds me that Lent is upon us. This Lent... Will you join me to create space to draw near to the one who gave his one and only son so that he can be in relationship with you? When you create that space, invite him in, draw him close and listen to him and he will tell you how to set the oppressed free. He will tell you how to break the yoke and he will call you repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. The time to fast is now. Don't miss this opportunity for God to honor you with his love. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.